Welcome back to So What Does Judaism Say About? I'm Rabbi Rick Fox. With me, as always, is the Illuminous, Rabbi Mayer Beer. Rabbi Beer, how are you doing? Fantastic. That's fantastic. In honor and commemoration of Yom Yerushalayim, which is an Israeli holiday that commemorates the reunification of Jerusalem after the miracles of the Six-Day War in 1967, where we got back what was called the Western Wall, the Kotel for the first time in a very long time. We thought it'd be fun to have a talk about what does Judaism say about Jerusalem? How about that? Surprisingly, Judaism does talk about Jerusalem. Pro-Jerusalem. Pro-Jerusalem. How many times in the Torah does it mention Jerusalem? By name? Oh, because there's other names for it. Yeah, we'll get to the names. The, um, the word Yerushalayim is not found in the Chumash itself. But we, we will get back to references to that. However, Yerushalayim, Jerusalem, is one of the blessings of the Shemon Esrei. The Amidah, the silent prayer that one recites three times a day. And just like you pray for health and wealth and things like that, praying for Jerusalem is one of those prayers. Correct, and it has been for 2,500 or so years. The blessing for Jerusalem, called Binyan Yerushalayim, the building, rebuilding of Yerushalayim, follows the blessing in the Shemona Esrei and the silent prayer for the righteous. And the connection between the two, based on a Medrash Shochatov, is that the righteous will find the, their environment where they can fully express their righteousness in Yerushalayim. So Yerushalayim is the Kind of the hope, the longing, uh, you know, as a place uh, to to live or to be connected to, for righteous people. So certainly a very auspicious place. And the name of the city, and you pointed out that in the Chumash it is called by many different names, and it's a conglomeration of names. Um, Jerusalem is Yeru Shalem, something like this, to combine the idea of fear or seeing something and also Shalem being whole, complete. So we do feel incomplete without this city, and you can imagine the joy of coming to Jerusalem for the first time, like these soldiers did in 1967, but it, it is a spiritual thing. It's not like you recaptured Toledo, Ohio. I mean, it is, a, it is, a, it, it is the, the heart and, and, and lifeblood of the Jewish people where the temple stood. That's the significance of it. It's, it's, it's very different than, than recapturing Wichita, Kansas, or something like that, or in 1812 when we pushed back the British second time. We, it's of spiritual significance. And to take your point a little further, that it is a spiritually significant place. We're still reciting this blessing, even though Jerusalem is in Jewish hands. Oh, and that's a very nice point. This blessing was recited during the time of the Second Temple, when Israel was in Jewish hands, and Jerusalem was in Jewish hands. We still said this. Yes. Wow. So there's certainly more to it than just uh, you know asking God for you know Jewish government, a Jewish government to be controlling the area. It's definitely a, def- uh, a, a spiritual message here. Let's talk about the spiritual meanings of Jerusalem, the reality of what Jerusalem was in the times when there was a temple there, and hopefully in future podcasts we'll talk more about the temple itself. The Talmud in Tractate Tainus on page 5 says that God says, I will not enter Jerusalem on high, the heavenly mirror city of Jerusalem, until I enter into Jerusalem below. Now, there's a spiritual idea called the Jerusalem of above. 
Is there a Toledo, Ohio of above? Yes or no? I don't know. I haven't found the source for it yet, (laughs) but I will have to keep looking. (laughs) Meaning, is there a mirror of the physical world in spiritual terms entirely or only of certain concepts? So there's something more significant about this. There is a concept that the Medrash says that every blade of grass has an angel connected to it. But something about this is a there's a city, there's a definitive spiritual idea called the Jerusalem above, the right. the city that is the spiritual reflection mirror image of the Jerusalem that we know. Right. And Rav Schwab in his commentary on the Siddur writes that the righteous people that longed for the essence and the meaning of Jerusalem, of Jerusalem, have a connection to that after their death. So there is some sort of you know, as you mentioned before, it's whatever meanings are going to be in there, the shalem, the completeness, there is a zone, there is a spiritual place that mirrors that. Similarly, we find the Medrash says that when Moshe built the Mishkan, the tabernacle, he followed a mirror image of a Mishkan Lamaila, of a, of a tabernacle above, in essence, seeing whatever spiritual messages or reality were contained within the physical parameters of the building of the tabernacle, Moshe was able to see something like that and see its spiritual essence. So there is this, you know, spiritual idea of of, uh, of Jerusalem. The city of Jerusalem, in its heyday, in the times of the temple, was also the judicial center of Israel. The Sanhedrin, the high court, was on the Temple Mount. There are other major courts contained within Jerusalem. It was the area of of um, the center of government for the Davidic kings. In the blessing of the Shemona we ask for the restoration of the seed of David. As a separate blessing. There's a separate blessing for that as well, but right. in the blessing of Yushalayim, it talks about the restoring David there. There's and then he gets a separate blessing. Correct. That's because, a lot. Yeah. <laughs> it must be important. <laughs> Maybe we'll have to make another podcast about that. <laughs> it must be important. So, you know, the, the, the significance of it as a judicial and a government center is obviously very strong, but more so, we, there's the idea of Ali al that three holidays of the year, whoever was able to, would ascend to Jerusalem and spend time there within the, in the city, go offer sacrifices, eat their festive holiday meals in Jerusalem. Right, that's for Passover, Sukkot, and Shavuot, and you go, you go it's called going up, even if you were coming down, they still call it going up. Because the going up, I assume, is a spiritual. Because you people live in the Golan Heights in Syria and Lebanon during these times and would come down physically to visit the temple, but it's considered going up. Just like when we make Aliyah, Aliyah means to go up, to to have an, a, a, an, a rise in spiritual stature, not a rise in you know the geographical height of the you know Denver Mile High Stadium. We're talking about spirituality here. And you can feel that when you're there. You know, if anybody visits Israel for the first time, uh, and actually, you feel it more subsequent times, but you feel it that first time. It's palpable. The 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 pulse of Jerusalem is really thumping, and you can really feel something there. And 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 the sights help, but the city itself, there really is something to that. And to connect to this further, while there was an active temple, there was something called the Mamados. There were um, mm. twenty four divisions, or the, the the country was divided into twenty four zones, so to speak, where different people from each zone would go two weeks of the year to Jerusalem. And spend time with the sacrifices that were that were going on. So they had Com- all these common folk. Yeah, this is not something specifically for the people who who um, the Kohanim, the priests who so there performed was, the tasks. Wow, there. So there was something about every citizen spending time throughout throughout the real uh, a pilgrimage outside of the pilgrimage time where you would spend two weeks a year in Jerusalem. So you're spending a lot of time there because you got Passover, 
to so, coach. Right. So these mamados were representatives of each district would go. It wouldn't be the entire populace that, ah. would, that would go. But there was a connection, and presumably people who wanted to go had this connection. The Electoral College of the of so, the Israel would so, go. So it wasn't just the uh, you know the the, uh, the eighth grade graduation trip where you would go to Washington D.C. and see some of the Smithsonian museums. There was really an active connection several times of the year on the holidays, and representatives would go. So. You know, you have the seat of the judicial system, the, the government is there, and the spiritual center of, of, uh, of Jerusalem is something which is palpable as well. But getting back to the theme you mentioned before, the name Yerushalayim is a composite of two names, the Medrash says. There is Shalem, something complete, and there is Yireh. Avraham calls the city Hashem Yireh, Hashem is seen there, a connotation of a spiritual connection, and Shame, who is Noah's, Noah's son, calls it Shalem. Now, the names they call it both mirror the achievements of, the, of, of, of each of these two individuals, respectively. Shame is a person who ha- had gone through the era of the flood, seen all of the societal corruption that the pre-flood era was accustomed to, and having gone through that and risen above that, was a person who was committed to Shalem, to being a complete person with, you know, what we call good midos. Right, good character traits. Nice guy. Nice guy. But a Shalem, a complete person in a societal sense. You know, this is a person that knows how to interact with other people. And in fact, Avraham, when he's looking for a future daughter-in-law, sends Eliezer to go look to Haran, which is a place where Shame was very influential, knowing that the people there were of sterling character. Yerushalayim is a place of Yireh and Shalem. It's a place of both, both interpersonal development and spiritual development. So it's the complete area where a person would seek to develop. There is a super, super easy section of the Talmud to understand. We'll quote it now and try to get, get some explanation for this. This is from Bava Basra on page 75a. The Talmud records an argument, dispute between two angels. Gabriel and Michael, as to what the stones that Jerusalem will be made out of, what kind of stones Jerusalem will be made out of in the, in the era of the Messiah. One of them said Shoham, one of them said Yashveh. I can translate this, but I don't think the translations will help. And God said, let it be both. Made out of both of them. Okay. So these angels must represent two different spiritual realms, two different... Ideas of interpersonal connection or completion and completion of... Rabbi Fox, (laughs) you must have taken exceptionally large amounts of coffee today because you are so sharp. That's right. Exceptionally sharp today. Uh, So the question is, why do they feel independently that it has to be that? Why couldn't they just come to this conclusion on their own? Why do they need God to come in and and, uh, and make pshara, so to speak, as they say, make a compromise? Why can't Michael... Who's the other one? Gabriel. Gabriel. Why can't Michael and Gabriel together just be like, you know what? I think it should be both aspects. Why do they feel such ownership that Jerusalem should be one aspect? I'll ask again, even in, in our realm, why did Abraham see it one lens and shame saw it a different lens? Why couldn't both see both lenses? And why today do we see it through both lenses? How do we have the ability to do that? So I think the answer with angels is that, you know, in, in, when we describe angels in the Jewish tradition, we describe them as being facet as being in a sense single faceted beings because they're focused on a specific mission or a specific task and you know people are more more complex than that but avraham and shame also may have had a certain specialty 
Shem was also a teacher of Avraham. And in that sense, Avraham may have built off of Shem's messages and Shem's teachings. But at the same time, we're going to you know, give tribute and give credit to Shem as being the originator you know, or, or the, of the force of, of those teachings. So the Maral explains that Michael is represented by water and Gavriel is represented by fire. Water is this softer, you know, more gentle material, which a person can use in a more accessible way. And fire is something which is stronger, more forceful, more powerful. And they don't mix. They're two separate ideas. And they don't mix. They're two separate ideas. They remain separate. They'll never combine. There's no emulsification of fire and water. Unless there's God. Well, that's... Which might be the answer to your question. Perhaps. That's that's an interesting point. So the Maral says that the water represents kindness, you know, kind of more the interpersonal, you, you, you compromise, water can, can take the form of something that it's put into, in that sense that it has a certain flexibility, it's more malleable. Fire is something which is hard to contain. Fire is strict justice, a sense of the absolute, you know, devotion that a person can, you know, can attain with a, with a kind of a limited, you know, hyper-focused spiritual lens. Yeah, and everything that touches or gets touched by fire ends up the same thing. It's just going to get burned up. Things that are that get touched by water, they're going to have different reactions. You have to know what's going to happen. You know what's going to happen with fire, but with water, you actually don't know what's going to happen. Is it good for this thing? Is it bad for this thing? You know. Right. Also, with water, it kind of works slowly. Mm. You know, if you're working to change character traits, there's the slow dripping, which makes the holes into the stone. Uh, you know, as the you know classic Jewish analogies go, is fire the quick fix? It seems a little quicker. <laughs> you know, a flamethrower just kind of melts everything. But very interestingly, so so we have Michal and Gabriel having these different perspectives of God saying there's actually a composite of both in Jerusalem, the complete Yeresh Shalem, the hybrid of all different character traits, the you know the place where one should seek the absolute best on all areas in spirituality is Jerusalem. So Jerusalem really has this very strong idea. Now this would seem a little inaccessible. It's so lofty, it's so difficult. So to that the Gemara continues. 75b, that in the future, Jerusalem will be three parsaos high. A parsa is 12 mil. A mil is about a kilometer, so we're talking about six, seven miles tall. That would be a little hard to breathe up there. That's pretty tall. And the Talmud says, well, if it's that tall, is it going to be difficult to access? And it says, no, because it'll be as difficult to access as the sky is for birds. That's not hard to access at all. Exactly. So this Damaral says that, that this complete spiritual idea would, would seem very inaccessible. You know, having this, he says the three parsos represent when, you know, we, we, we say in prayer, Kadosh, 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 a verse from Isaiah, God is holy, holy, holy. He's holy in the heights. He's holy in the lows. He's holy for all time. This just seems like too lofty and difficult to attain. And to that, no, it is accessible. So, in as much as Jerusalem seems to be this place of like absolutes, but it also has this balance, it also has this accessibility, and practically, people would go to Jerusalem pretty frequently. So, it definitely does seem that this is something that people were able to participate and connect with. I mean, that's how you feel when you go now. Everybody has a different way that they feel connected, but everybody that walks in the old city of Jerusalem going up to the hotel, being around that old energy and the spirituality that you feel there, everybody feels something. It's, it's a pretty, it's a magnetically powerful place, magnetically powerful. 
So there's, there's, there's something special there. I mean, the significance, again, going back to what it means for the Jewish people to be in Israel, but not able to go to Jerusalem, not able to go to the Western Wall, and then post this war in 67, being able to, the, the recourse, the consequence of that has been a powerful spiritual consequence. I don't think the, the, the political ramifications sort of, I think, I think take a back seat here. I mean, yes, we, the, the Knesset is there, but the Knesset could really be anywhere, but you're not going to get that feeling of accomplishment and the yeshivas that are there and the learning that's happening there. It's, it's a very powerful place. So you, are you suggesting that if they built a Western Wall in Vegas, it wouldn't feel the same? It would not. That hotel would fail. <laughs> the Holy Land Hotel? Has no, anybody no matter, thought of that? No matter which side of the wall they put there, you know? Okay. So uh, we will cancel those development plans. Okay, we're going to have to. We're not going to build such a wall. But to give a, maybe a, a small insight, you know, we're throwing, throwing out these, you know, these very big ideas into how this is achievable. Because we're suggesting that Jerusalem, that Jerusalem Yerushalayim, does represent these very ethereal, very deep, very big ideas, very difficult to attain levels, but at the same time is, to an extent, accessible. The Mishnah in Perkei says something fascinating. The Mishnah says that there were certain miracles that happened in Jerusalem in the Temple. And one of those miracles is that no one ever said on the pilgrimages, on the holidays, Charlie Hamakom that you know I, I felt constrained when I was in Jerusalem. I felt I felt like I didn't have enough space when I was in Jerusalem. And you know, so on a simple level, this sounds like everybody had a a suite instead of a you know a triple occupancy room. Everybody had their own little you know jacuzzi bathroom. Rabbi Chaim Valashner says what this means is that something a lot more, a lot deeper, a lot more essential to national life. And that is that if you're going on a pilgrimage with everyone in your community, everyone in your nation, you might feel like you're a, you're a serial number. You might not feel like you have a place. You might not feel that there's room for you. And no one ever went to Jerusalem feeling like that. Everybody felt like they were able to express themselves. So getting back to the point you mentioned before, Avraham sees something there. Shame sees something there. Michael sees something there. Gabriel sees something there. Perhaps what that means is that everybody was able to see their uniqueness there and not just feel that like, oh, I'm five points and, and Jerusalem's a billion points and, and like I'm so small and insignificant. Everybody was able to see their uniqueness there and also see that this is part of a larger a larger mission. So there's 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 a lot of this like individual collective balance within all the other balances that are contained within Jerusalem. I mean, people that go now, and this is this is a significant point, right? You go to build yourself. People that spend significant amount of time living and learning there. I mean, I myself went for a six-month uh, sabbatical from work um, to build myself, not to find myself. I didn't want to travel the world and go to Southeast Asia, and I want to find myself. I wanted to build my, I wanted to become something. And you walk into Jerusalem, you walk into a study hall, and you have what to contribute. You feel your personality pumping, and and uh, and everybody does feel they have their own part there. I mean, just during your point, I'm just thinking back. Like my personality flourished, so did everybody else's personality, and all those ways. Uh, I feel like if you go to Toledo, Ohio, everybody kind of <laughs> might feel the same thing, but you, everybody feels a significance of, of their personality coming forth. You feel part of the greater whole, and yet you know you have your own voice of to contribute. You're not cheering the football players on the field in that oneness. You're actually one of the players 
on the field, but the field is massive and it's full of ideas. It's pretty a magnetic and electrifying place. That's the significance of it. And this is this is a theme we've talked about a number of times. This idea of you know within Judaism, the individual, the community, balancing the two, you know, kind of coming up with a, with a with a system where both can can work harmoniously. And it is no surprise that Jerusalem contains many of these elements. And another element, I think we'll end off with this, is the end of that blessing in the Amidah, in, in the silent prayer, is, Blessed are you, God, Bone Yerushalayim, builder of Jerusalem. It doesn't say he who will build Jerusalem. Now, if you were saying this in you know the year 1172 in northern France, there was no building in Jerusalem going on. So what is Bone Yerushalayim, builder of Jerusalem? The answer to that is, the building of Jerusalem is not just a physical act. It's not just an act that an army con- conquers it or you know, real estate people go in and develop it. It is a cumulative effect of all the work of the Jewish people being able to live in such an environment, of God putting the Jewish people through different eras and different tests so that that can come to its realization. In this case, manifesting itself, thousands of years of prayer, thousands of years of Torah study, possibly manifesting itself through the miracles of this 67 six-day war, that's the culmination of being in France in 1172 and making this prayer and building up Jerusalem, that ultimately that could happen through the, through the guise of a war when really it's God behind there making these miracles happen for us to then go there and build ourselves even further. Exactly. And Rav Schwab says that you know if you would see a skyscraper being built, see uh, the Freedom Tower being built, the first thing they build is a really, really big hole doesn't look very important. But that hole is how you pour the foundation for the structure of this huge high-rise to be built on. So the same way all of the, you know, kind of difficulties that the Jewish people had while they were longing for a for a homeland, while they were longing for Jerusalem to exist, and even, you know, once, you know, af- now that we have Jerusalem, we're still building it, we're still making it a better place, we're still collectively trying to improve it. That's all part of that structure. Now hopefully we're already building some of the higher floors and not just digging a foundation, right? but the construction is still an ongoing process. This podcast brought to you by the Toledo, Ohio Tourism Foundation. 